we have our <clears throat> evening service tonight is kind of the traditional Christmas Eve service that, at least as I understand traditional, with the, the, the carol and the lesson and the carol and the lesson. That's tonight at 6 if you um, are able to come. But this morning is um, obviously a topical message. We're in the book of Acts in our ordinary series, and I wanted to break for John. John's Gospel. Uh, let me let me use. Um, is the is the recording? Does it sound well enough for you to hear, or do I need my lapel mic? Lapel. Is this good, Henry? Good. Okay. Henry says good. All right. I have a soft voice, so I never know. Um, okay. John one. I'm going to read one through um, verse one through eighteen. Obviously, again, hopefully an exegetical topical, but a topical nevertheless. Verse 1, hear the perfect word of our perfect God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Full of his fullness, we have all received. And grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, who is is worthy to handle such... um, sublime truths. Lord, these things are beyond my understanding, beyond my capacities, but clearly, Lord, they are the clear truth of your word. Help me, Holy Spirit, subdue any sin in my mind and my tongue, that the words of my lips, the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you, thou my great Jehovah, and the sermon would be the stuff of your word. And you would show us yourself, Jesus Christ, high and lifted up. And show us, Lord, how you condescended so low to become a man, to suffer and die, and to rise again for the likes of us, that you would cleanse us from our sins and make make us a people acceptable for you. We thank you for these things. Increase our faith. Forgive our sins. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. There, there, um, the passage that we're at here, John um, 1 through 18, I, 
many, many years ago, I preached through the Gospel of John. I didn't look at my notes on that because I knew it was going to be a topical message. John 1.1, you, you could have legitimately, in just the first verse, legitimately three, four, five sermons. In John 1-18, to you could be in this for six months, legit, legitimately in this for six months. So I, I say that because I know for a fact I won't do justice to this giant passage. I, this is so... This is so rich. I want to step back and just look at some things um, logically and always with an eye to Christ. We're in the Bible, obviously. And the Bible tells us what the Bible is. The Bible is the Word of God. And another way to put that, it is the self-revelation of God. Creation reveals to man that God is. This is a Romans 1, Romans chapter 2. This is a Psalm 19, 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 139. Every husband that's watched their wife give birth, we look at the little baby coming out of our wife and we say, how fearfully and wonderfully made is this child. So creation reveals to man that God is. So God's self-revelation in nature But when we come to the Bible, it is God's condescending, stooping, loving revelation of himself as a savior to sinners. That's what the whole book is about. From Genesis 3.15 to Revelation 22, it is a book about God being merciful to sinners, always in Christ the Redeemer. So when you want to understand even a little bit about creation, we go to Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God. When we want to see that God alone, in Christ alone, is our Redeemer, we look at the counterpart in John 1.1. And I've mentioned that the Bible is a book about redemption. Sometimes people put it redemptive history. God the Holy Spirit inspires both the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles to tell us that God is a holy God. Besides him, there is no other. He has justice on some sinners for their sins, and on other sinners he has mercy, always in Christ Jesus. And the question that we look at when we look at the Bible, or even look at ourselves, how can this just one justify the ungodly? How could sinners ever be declared to be hagios, or saints? How can that occur? The Bible says that it does. That's the question of Job. How can people that eat and drink sin, like eating and drinking bread and water, how can they be declared just or righteous before a holy and a just God? The answer to those questions is what we're looking at in John. And maybe today I'll just touch on a few salient points from John 1.1, but the answer to those questions of how can sinners be reconciled to a holy God. It's all bound up in Jesus. The Bible, as I've said, is a book about the restoration of fallen man's union and friendship or communion with God in Christ Jesus. The whole Bible. You remember when Jesus was on the Emmaus Road in Luke chapter 24, and some Christ had died, and Christ had immediately risen three days, obviously, after death, because he said he would. And there were two disciples that were providentially prohibited from recognizing who Jesus was. And Jesus was talking with them. And they basically said, he said, why are you so sad? And they said, well, we thought Jesus was the Christ. And then there was an interchange. And then he said, well, you foolish men, slow to believe 
Don't you believe Moses? Don't you believe the prophets? And Jesus himself said, from, from Genesis to Malachi, it's all about me. And I would say from Matthew to Revelation, it's all about Christ in some way or another, coming back to Christ the Redeemer, our salvation, the whole thing. Christ says it. And the Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in 1 Peter chapter 1, 10 through 13, says the Old Testament prophets had the Spirit of Jesus Christ in them, testifying about the humiliation and the sufferings of Christ, his first estate as our Redeemer, followed by the glories of Jesus Christ, his second and final estate as our Redeemer. And so the Bible shows us Christ. And the Bible will show us, and I hate to say this, but you know that this is true. The Bible will show us the false Christ as opposed to fa- the, the false Christ in, in contrast with the true Christ. There is a true Christ, and only the true Christ saves. But there are many false Christs, and false Christs do not save, but they allure, and they can lead, if possible, even the elect astray, as Jesus says in Matthew 24. How do we know the true Christ who saves from the plethora of false Christs that do not save? Jesus says in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, there's going to come a time when many people will say, there is the Christ, there is the Christ. He said, don't believe them. When you hear the sound of the trumpet, when the angels, I, the true Christ, will come back. There is a difference. So how do we know? How do we know? We're so prone as human beings to being led astray. It's the Bible. I, I think I can say this. I know I can say it, but I am a tremulous human being. The Bible alone shows us the true Christ. The Bible alone shows us the true Christ. So that's why I say when we come here to this passage, this is holy ground. I am not sufficient to unpack this. Unprofitable servant. And anything I say will be a fraction of what's here. But the Bible alone shows us the true Christ. And so then our question, as we just consider this Christ and who he is, why is it that only a fraction of humanity looks at the Bible and finds the true Christ when the better part of humanity could hear Christ all day long, preach from the greatest preacher, and they don't know him. They don't see him. They don't hear him. They don't love him, and they don't serve him. What's the difference, beloved? What's the difference? Why can you see and hear Christ in the Bible? Why? It's the Holy Spirit. This is in Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. This is grace. How, how grace works, I don't know. There are many things. The longer I'm a Christian, the longer I'm a Christian minister, I used to know way more about the Bible, I think, a couple of years ago. I could write whole sermons on it. And now the, the more that I know, the more that I know that I don't know. God, the Holy Spirit, gives us eyes to see Christ ears to hear him. God the Holy Spirit takes out our heart of flesh. This is Ezekiel 34. And gives us a heart of of, a living heart to know and to love this Jesus Christ. And I will say what Paul says. To live is what? Christ. Christ, as a Christian, we come here in the, the, the supposed church calendar, all of these things. The Christian religion is about Jesus Christ. It's not about boys wearing short hair and girls having long dresses. And I'm not against long dresses on girls and boys wearing short hair. I'm not against those things. 
But Christianity is fundamentally not about what we do. Christianity fundamentally is what Christ has done or what God in Christ has done. I'm not against the other. I'm against being drunk. I'm against being profligate because God is against all those things. But that's not the fundamental message of Christianity. And if you hear a Christian say, this is Christianity, do this and do that and do this and do that, do this and do that. I think it was R.C. Sproul that said some of these sermons could be preached by an unbelieving Jewish person, an unbelieving Muslim person. It's just moralism. But the essence of the holy faith is this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's Christ. So Christ is the Alpha and the Omega of Christianity. I know that sounds silly. You're going to be thinking, do they send you to seminary to, 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 to know that? No, I knew this when I was born again as a truck driver. I knew this when I was a carpet cleaner. Christ is the sum and the substance of our holy religion. I mentioned the first preaching of the gospel is Genesis 3.15. And Jesus says in Revelation 22, Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. What's the reward? What, what's the reward that you want as a, as a believer? It's Christ. Theologians call it the beatific vision. To be in the immediate presence of Jesus Christ. That's this whole book. That's this whole book. That's why we can never know him enough. We can never love Jesus enough. We can never serve him enough. There's, there's not one bit of suffering that's too much for us to go through for the sake of Christ. There's not one bit of duty that's too high for us that we wouldn't obey for the sake of this person. Read the Gospels. Read the Gospels. The Synoptics, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all repent of sin and look to Christ. John, how does John begin? Christ, 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 Christ is my favorite book of the Bible. John is my favorite book of the Bible. John 10 is my favorite chapter in all of the Bible. It's just so Christocentric. It's so Christ-rich. That's what we're looking at. Read the Pauline epistles, especially. It's what, what, what absorbed the Apostle Paul? Prior to his conversion, what absorbed the Apostle Paul? He wanted to kill Christ and kill Christians. And he wanted to extol his own righteousness by his own so-called law-keeping. And after he met this one, the one that we just read about, what happened to the Apostle Paul? He was a new man. You can't really receive John 1, 1 through 18, really believe it, and not be changed. If you believe what God the Holy Spirit records in John 1, 1 through 18, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, God, what did Archbishop of Canterbury Anselm write in 1,000, 1,100? Cor Deus homo. Why did God become man? You can't really believe that without being radically changed. Radically. You're a new person. You think differently. He, he, he's the pole star of your life. You do marriage for him. You, you, you do your vocation for him. You walk for him. You talk for him. You raise your kids for him. It's him. That's what we're looking at. Now, I mention, as the Bible is the revelation of Christ, the question is, who is the right Christ that we should follow? I, I did say there is a true and a saving Christ. When you come to the Bible, I hope everybody in this room reads the Bible. And I, I didn't really read the Bible until I was 26. I mean, I, had, I knew certain Bible stories and so on, but not really read, 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 read the Bible. 
I hope you read, read, read the Bible. And when you read the Bible, I know what you're going to find. There are some things in the Bible that are clear as a bell, right? There are other things in the Bible that you read, and you could, have been, you could be a Christian for 200 years. You could be Methuselah. What's Methuselah? Nine-something? You could read it for 900 years, and you are going to go, I see what those words say. I could even get out my Greek lexicon and my Hebrew lexicon, and I could actually read it in Hebrew or Greek. I know what that says. I don't know how it works. That's a mystery. There's a theologian I like. He's in heaven now. He doesn't like the words. He didn't like the words mystery. He's a really cerebral guy, very intellectual, Gordon Clark, and then his devotee, uh, Robbins. They, did, they were super intellectual guys, and they fancied that they could figure everything out. <laughs> and they can way more than me. But I remember reading, so there's no mystery? Yeah, no, I can watch how it all works. And then when he explained it, I'm like, I still don't understand. (laughs) I don't understand it. So maybe not for the really smart guy, but it still really is for him. This is mystery. So if you think I'm going to completely explain the doctrine of the Trinity this morning from this passage, I, I, I can't do it. If you think I'm going to completely explain the hypostatic union how Jesus is eternal God, born of the Virgin Mary, overshadowed by the, the Holy Spirit, born of her yet without sin, two natures in one person. That's what it says. And if you say, Pastor John, can you explain that to me? I'll tell you from the pulpit. No. I read and pray, read and pray, and read and pray, and read and pray, and I just, how does this work? That's mystery. That's a, that's a real mystery. Now, there's mystery that's revealed in part. I think that's this. And then there's mystery, mystery. You don't even know enough to, 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 to even ask the question. That, I don't mean that. The, the, the Bible speaks both in the Old Testament. The Old Testament Hebrew word is more secret. But the Old Testament will use the word mystery. In, in the New Testament, certainly, it's mysterion. It's what we get the word sacrament from. The, the sacraments are called mysterion. This is another thing. Boy, you'll never come back to this church. You'll say, what do you know, Pastor? <laughs> if you ask me about the sacraments, boy, that's the deep end of the theological swimming pool. Because once you dive into the sacraments, Katie, bar the door, how do these work? Right? Mysterion. The Bible uses the word mysterion, the mysteries of Jesus Christ. We don't come to Jesus with the Bible and say, oh yeah, yeah, I totally know how this works. You know, first hesitations, two, six, um, JK. You're, you're not coming there. Even looking at John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Add in verse 14, the incarnation, which is this. And the Word became flesh, sarks. This is the Holy Spirit poking a finger in the eye of the Gnostics. There's two words in Greek for body or, or flesh. One is soma, body, the other is sarks, flesh. And the Gnostics said, all flesh, sarks is bad, and only the spirit is good. And, and God comes along and says, and Jesus became sarks. Good. This blows the mind of the Gnostic. Jesus, be fully God, fully man. Wham. This is mystery. The Apostle Paul says this. So when we come here, it's clear what it says it's not clear how we understand it. Paul says this to the Ephesian church. 
For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me uh, for you, that by revelation, that's Bible, he, he received, Paul received direct revelation from the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was, it was put in the canon of Scripture by revelation. I'm not inspired. I'm an uninspired, ordinary church officer. This guy is inspired by God the Holy Spirit, by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. There was made known to me the mystery. As I wrote before in brief, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Christ is, the book is about Christ. Christ is our Savior. They shall call his name Jesus. Remember Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, he finds out the Virgin Mary is pregnant. He's gonna, he's gonna, he plans to put her away, divorce her secretly. He didn't want to bring her to open shame because she would have been stoned to death as a fornicator or an adulteress because she was betrothed. And he didn't want to do that to her. And the angel comes to him and says, Joseph, don't do this. And then he says, because the baby born in her is the Messiah. It's from the Holy Spirit. She's not been unfaithful to you. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people, what? From their sins. That's the mystery. That's the mystery. When people reduce Christianity to mere moralism, don't cuss, don't this, don't, and I'm not for cussing. It's not this. That's easy squeezy. I could do that back in AA. Just don't be drunk. Don't lay in the bushes drunk. I get that. That's, unbelievers can do that. That's not this. This is God come in the flesh. This is a mystery. It's, it's revealed. So, the remainder of our sermon, I want to just walk through mainly John 1.1. 1, 1, and I'll throw in a little bit of John 1.14. And I want to look at some of the mysterious things, and I'll look like I'm going to contradict myself here, some of the mysterious things about our Jesus Christ that are clearly revealed in these verses. When you look, first let's look kind of at a macro view at the whole, well, the whole book, but certainly 1 through 18. John 1 through 18 is known as the, 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 um, the prologue to the book of John. John has things that the other synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are the other Gospels, don't have. And they have things that John doesn't have. John makes emphasis about certain things about Jesus Christ that are not quite as emphasized as much by the other Gospel writers. When you come to John 1.1, 1, 1, oh, okay, everyone is a theologian. <laughs> everyone in this room is a theologian. Everyone here. And the question is, are you a good theologian or are you a bad theologian? And what makes us a good theologian is we agree with the Bible. <laughs> and if we disagree with the Bible, we're bad theologians. When you come to John 1, let's just say John 1, 1. What's the main doctrine? I know people think doctrine is a dirty word. Doctrine just means truth or teaching. That's all it means. It just means teaching. Again, good doctrine, biblical. Bad doctrine, not biblical. But every, there's, the, everything is doctrine. Everything flows out of first teaching. Now, here's my question, theologians. What's the main doctrine that's being talked about in John 1.1? 1, 1? It's something about Christ, and it's what about Christ? Christ is what? Go ahead, say it. Thank you very much. He's God. 
So the, the main doctrine as being espoused, and he's going to flesh out the rest of it, no, no tongue-in-cheek word, flesh. He's going, to tongue, he's going to flesh out that doctrine of the divinity or the deity of Jesus through the first 18 verses. But the main doctrine is on the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Deity is another fancy way of saying Jesus is God. But I want to back up from that. And I just want to look at the idea of doctrine. I've been here January 22 years by God's grace. And, and I, I love my ministry and I hope to be preaching until the day I die. So I hope to be in the middle of a sermon and I, and I say for my next fabulous point and then, uh, and I'm gone. So I, 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 love, I love the calling. When, you, when we come here, Many years ago, a person asked me at the beginning, are we going to be a doctrinal church or are we going to be a practical church? Where are you going to take us, Pastor John? Doctrinal church or practical church? And it's almost like, what do you, this is the silliest question I've ever heard in my life. Like, what, what is, I don't even understand. What, what is it you're saying? Are you going to believe good teaching about Jesus or are you just going to do good practice about Jesus? I don't even understand. How does that work? First comes doctrine, and from true doctrine flows what? Orthodoxy produces ortho what? Praxy. You can't, you can't separate them for me. And so I looked at the guy, I said, I, I don't understand. So how are we going to have a good practice church unless I preach and we believe sound doctrine? So all that to say this, this prologue, the first 18 verses, it, it's God the Holy Spirit inspires John to basically set the stage doctrinally for the remainder of the, of the, what is it, 21 chapters in John? The rest of the 21 chapters of John are going to be an explanation of this doctrine. So we live in days, we live in a day in the Christian church, and I mean Christian church of any Christian stripe. And I would say we live in doctrinally unclear times. I can't, of course, I can't be, um, gen, I can't generalize like with perfection, but let me generalize with some imperfection. <laughs> Intellectually in the church, let's not, we're, talking out, we're talking about professing Christians. Well, let's leave the, the professing unbelievers outside. Professing Christians, we live in a time where we're intellectually and spiritually lazy. We want things to be kind of nebulous and who knows, I don't know. Everything's kind of like easy squeezy. There's no hard edges to our theology. You say tomato, I say tomato. Well, who knows, who knows? Beloved, now there are some things in the Bible I've studied for some long time. Long time. I cannot figure them out. I mean, I beg the Holy Spirit, reveal this to me. And I study and study and study and I can't. And R.C. Sproul says, when those things happen and you're just beating your head against the wall and you can't figure it out, take that thing, whatever that stomach cure is that you can't figure out, and put it on a shelf. And just don't drive yourself nuts and get back to the things you can understand and then maybe the Holy Spirit will show you later. I have a chocker box full of those things. But this idea of doctrinally unclear age, some people will say this, well, it doesn't really matter that Jesus was virgin born. You think he's virgin born? I have people in my family that say, you know what? I don't think he's virgin born. And in fact, the people in my family call him Jesus ben Patera, Jesus son of Patera, that the Virgin Mary was impregnated by a Roman soldier. 
What do you think of that? That's obnoxious. That's blasphemy. Calling a Virgin Mary what? Not a virgin. Calling Jesus what? I wouldn't even say. And they say, well, you think he's virgin born? You think he's sinless and spotless? You think he's God in the flesh? I think he's the, the product of fornication, which is what they accused him with. And Jesus said, you're the son of the devil. You children of the devil. Does it matter, beloved, if Jesus was virgin born or not? Does it matter? Oh, my wife. <laughs> my, coaching, my, my preaching coach. I gesticulate too wildly and I get too vehemently and so I understand. But does it matter? So if you were to ask Jewish folks, unbelieving Jewish folks, who is Jesus? And they say, well, he's clearly not what you see here. What about Muslim folks? Do Muslim folks believe in Jesus? Shake your head yes. Yeah, they do. I just watched yesterday a program of a Muslim preacher apologist. You say, why would you do this? Well, because this is what I do for a living. And the, the, the fellow asked this woman, do you believe in one God? This was the Muslim preacher. And she said, yes, I believe in one God. And then his next question was super blew me away by this. He said, she, he said to her, do you believe in Jesus? But then before she could answer, he said this to the woman. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Or do you believe that he's his messenger? And what did she say? I believe in one God. That Jesus is not God. And that Jesus is his messenger. And then she recited a prayer and he said, you're a Muslim. And she said, I'm a Muslim. Beloved, does it matter what we believe about Jesus Christ? Does it matter? The world says no. The better part of the church says no. God says yes. Am I right with that? So when you come to John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is Jesus? He's God. What happens if the whole world, including a very smart Muslim cleric, says he's just a mere man, good preacher? They're wrong. And we go with the Word of God. So this is, this is I would say, distinct doctrine unclear doctrine, nebulous doctrine on the person of Christ and on the work of Christ is not saving. It is not saving. And it is not an expression of humility when we look at John 1.1 and say, I don't know. Who knows? No one can know. That's called what? If you were to read John 1, 1 and walk away and say, I don't, I don't know who he is. I have a sister I love very much and she's kind of a quasi-Buddhist. And she said to me, I said to her one day, I said, if the Dalai Lama were honest and he would read John 1, 1, if he were honest, he would have to say, this guy Jesus says he's God. But he can't be honest because of the fallen nature of his flesh. But this is clear doctrine, so don't shy from doctrine, particularly on the doctrine of Jesus. Again, it's clear, but we can't fully explain it. So it's mysterious, but it is clear. And so when the Bible says he is God, by faith, someone said earlier, by faith we believe it. And when someone says, well, how does that work? 
By faith we say what? I don't know, but it's what the Word of God says. Beloved, we want to explain our faith the best that we can to our family and friends, do we not? Can our family and friends not tie us into pretzels? And we can't answer. And we have to... Now, I will tell you this. So if any of you people want to be an OPC minister, don't do this. When you get for your exam, if you don't know the question, don't fudge it. Don't fudge the answer, because they'll catch you. So if they say, how does the Trinity work? And you say, hold on, I can tell you how the Trinity works. You better not do that, because you're going to look like a knucklehead in about five seconds. (laughs) It's always better to say, this is what the Bible says. I don't know how it all comes together because the Bible doesn't reveal it and we don't have the capacities. I wonder what we're going to do when we get to heaven. We'll just be eternally worshiping this divine Christ. But as I say, this fundamentally is an expression of the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we maintain, because the Bible says, you've heard the phrase, C.S. Lewis was not the first guy to use it. There was a Greek guy And he probably wasn't the first guy to come up with it. Liar, Lord, lunatic. You've heard this, right? Jesus is either a liar. He said he was God in the flesh and he isn't. Or he's a lunatic. He thought he was God in the flesh and he isn't. Or he's the Lord in the flesh. And then the recourse is to worship him. The Bible says Jesus is God. And we we rest in this. This is a condemnation. Martin Luther said there's two great heresies that this verse speaks against. It speaks against Arianism. Jehovah's Witnesses are Arians. Mormons are Arians. JWs think he's the Archangel Michael. Mormons think he's the spirit brother of Satan. That's Arianism, that Jesus is just a creature. Jesus is not a creature. He's God. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's Yahweh. Jesus shall save his people from their sins. You remember Doubting Thomas? What is it, John chapter 20? Jesus dies as he said he would. He rises as he said he would. And and Thomas wasn't there to see him. And he says, you know what? Unless I stick my fingers in his side, I'm not going to believe that he's God. And Jesus comes along and he says, Thomas, go ahead. What does Thomas say to Jesus? This is significant. This, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. In the word was... And the word God is theos. It's not a, there's no definite article. It's not a little God. This is how the JWs get around this. He's not saying he's a little God, like sometimes the Old Testament refers to angels, uh, Elohim, as gods, or even civil magistrates as Elohim, gods. This is God, God. <laughs> That's why he brings in the etern- eternality of, God, of Christ. He brings in the creatorship of Jesus Christ. This is God. Doubting Thomas says, my kurios, Lord, and my theos, God. And then what does he do to Jesus? He worships. That's this. That's it. If you are not born again by the Holy Spirit, you're just counting the seconds until I be quiet. You're thinking, this poor guy, I don't know what is wrong with him. Who believes this? But if the Holy Spirit... (laughs) has made you alive and you read these words, do you pray to Christ, beloved? Do you pray to Christ? Do you worship him? Do you love him? Do you believe he's sinless? He's God. He's, he, he is God. God, God. This is what separates Christian from non-Christian. And I know I can't wait till we get to heaven and there's no more denominations. And I really, 
I like him in some ways. We get to be as honest as, as we can be because we believe certain things different from our brothers and sisters. But I don't like him in other ways. It's, we're horribly divided. But not on this we're not. Not on this. What separates a Christian from a non-Christian, and I'm not picking on the non-Christian. I want non-Christians to become Christians. Is we believe Jesus is God. Am I right, right with that? So Arianism is condemned. The other one is Sabellianism. And if I have time, I probably won't to talk about it. Now, some of you all watch debates on the internet. The internet can be really good, and the internet can be really bad. You can see some really interesting and informative stuff, things that will bless your spirit on there, and things that will probably hurt you, spiritually speaking. I watched a debate between a very, very sharp Jewish fellow and William Lane Craig. It wasn't really a debate. It was William Lane Craig explaining Jesus in the resurrection, and the Jewish fellow said to him, but Jews don't believe that the Messiah was supposed to be God. And you're, you Christians believe that Jesus is God. And William Lane Craig didn't miss a beat. He didn't get defensive at all. He said, no, that's totally true. Yeah, most Jewish folks now don't believe Jesus is God. They don't think that the Messiah promised was going to be God come in the flesh. And the Jewish fellow said, we think he's just going to be a political Messiah. He's going to make the Jews rule over the Gentiles. And William Lane Craig said, no, that's exactly right. And the whole time I'm thinking, and he came to his own, and his own knew him what? Not. John 6, they wanted to make him a king. But what kind of king did they want him to make? A political king. But Jesus isn't a political king. He came to destroy sin and to set sinners free. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9. Did the Jewish folks never hear that Messiah was going to be God come in the flesh? Isaiah 9. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty What? God. There will be no end or increase to his government or of peace on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness. Who is that? That's Christ. Christ is called Everlasting Father, the progenitor of the church. Christ is called Almighty God. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 34 that Jehovah himself will come and shepherd his people. Remember I mentioned John 10 is my favorite chapter in the Bible. I am the good shepherd. Jesus says seven times in John's gospel, he uses ego ami in the Greek. It's the equivalent of Jehovah or Yahweh in the Hebrew. The Jews do not miss it. They know exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, ego ami. It me ego means I am. Ami means I am. And he says this seven times. I am that I am. And all the Jewish folks do what? They lose their minds. This guy, Jesus, is calling himself Jehovah come in the flesh. And they pick up stones to kill him for blasphemy. If Jesus Christ were a liar, or he was a lunatic, he should have been stoned. But he's, he's not that. He's God come in the flesh. 
So I would say to that fellow who said, we, we don't think the Messiah was going to be God. What's the reason? It, it said it in the Bible. They don't believe the Bible. Beloved, there's nothing new under the sun. There are gobs of Christian people that call themselves Christian people that will tell you, oh, Jesus is this and Jesus is that and Jesus is like this and he's like that. He does this and he doesn't do that. And they don't read the Bible either. (laughs) False Christs don't save anyone from sin. It's the Christ of the Bible. And then God the Holy Spirit inspires John to talk about the eternality of Christ. Who was the famous heretic? Nestorius. He would say there was a time that Christ was not. No, 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 no. We're not talking about his incarnation. There was a time that through the womb of the Virgin Mary, he became incarnate. But there was never a time that the Son of God was not. He is co-substantial, co-equal, co-eternal. That's the doctrine of the Trinity here. So we have the divinity of Christ, his eternality, he creates, and then the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, if you read the Bible, and I hope you do, the Bible is progressive revelation. It gets clear. You have a doctrine or a teaching. The first proclamation of the gospel is John 3.15, excuse me, Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent. That's Christ. Paul says in Romans 13, 16, that's Christ crushing the head of Satan. And Paul, Jesus talks about this in John 12. That promise is very seminal, seed-like in, in, in its form. And Augustine was right. He would say the Old Testament contains the New Testament in seed form. And when you get to the, the New Testament, it's the Old Testament in bloom. It gets clearer. So there's the, this shadowy presentation of Jesus. But it, it gets clearer and clearer. Even the Trinity Let us make man after our image. Even the word for God in Hebrew is in the plural, im. So can we explain that the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God, but they're not three gods. There's only one God. No, beloved, we can't. But it's this. I I want to read two quotes, lengthy, and then I promise, I, I do promise I will be quiet. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I want to say he was born like in uh, 1899 or something. And I want to say he died in 1980. Um, He wrote this. Someone will say to me, but I cannot understand the doctrine of the Trinity. And because I cannot understand it, I don't believe it. And here's his response. It's way more insightful than I can come up with. Stop for a moment and think about what you're trying to understand. God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is the message of the Bible. Not the ground of all being, not the ultimate, not the absolute, not some vague spirit of goodwill, not some spirit of love, but persons who think, who act, who intervene, who do things. God the Father creating at the beginning, in the beginning God created. God is not a force that brings things into being, but a person who decides to create, who did so, and who, having created, goes on sustaining. God the Son, active, appearing in various angelic forms in the Old Testament, and when the fullness of time was come, born as a babe in a stable in Bethlehem, the Son is a living person. He who has seen me has seen the Father. I and my Father are one. Here also in the book of Acts is the great emphasis upon the Holy Spirit. And then Lloyd-Jones says this, I'm not saying that I understand the Trinity. I'm not asking you to understand it either. You ready? This is Lloyd-Jones. I don't think I have enough courage to say this, but he did. 
He said this, I am simply telling you that you will go to a Christless eternity unless you believe this message of God who is and who was the three persons in the blessed Godhead, co-equal, co-eternal in every respect. Now you may think, well, I think um, Lloyd-Jones was wrong on that. Lloyd-Jones is taking the doctrine of John 1, 1, 1, 14, and he's applying it. And he's really just explaining what I would say is the sub and substance of the Apostolic Creed, which I said every Sunday of my life, the Nicene Creed, we said all the time, and the sum and the substance of the Athanasian Creed. Athanasius, 200s, 300s, the bishop that was against Arianism, that Jesus, it really is God come in the flesh. He's not a mere creature. I want to end today's sermon with the Athanasian Creed. Every true Christian believes this. This is the Athanasian Creed. I'm not going to leave off anything, even though some of the things are kind of um, sober. Whoever desires to be saved should above all hold to the Catholic faith. Anyone who does not keep it whole and unbroken will doubtless perish eternally. Now this is the Catholic faith, that we believe one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. Whatever quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Son and the Holy Spirit has. The Father is uncreated, the Son is uncreated, the Holy Spirit is uncreated. The Father is immeasurable, the Son is immeasurable, the Holy Spirit is immeasurable. The Father is eternal, the Son is eternal, the Holy Spirit is eternal. And yet there are not three eternal beings, there is but one eternal being. So too there are not three uncreated or immeasurable beings, but there is one uncreated and immeasurable being. Similarly, the Father is almighty, the Son is almighty, the Holy Spirit is almighty. Yet there are not three almighty beings, but there is one almighty being. Thus the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Yet there are not three gods, there is but one God. Thus the Father is Lord, the Son is Lord, the Holy Spirit is Lord, yet there are not three lords, there is but one Lord. Just as Christian truth compels us to confess each person individually as both God and Lord, so Catholic religion forbids us to say that there are three gods or lords. The Father was neither made nor created nor begotten from anyone. The Son was neither made nor created. He was only begotten from the Father alone. The Holy Spirit was neither created nor begotten. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. Accordingly, there is one Father, not three fathers. There is one Son, not three sons. There is one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. Nothing in this Trinity is before or after. Nothing is greater or smaller in their entirety. The three persons are co-eternal, co-equal with each other. So in everything, as we have said earlier, we must worship the Trinity in their unity and the unity in their Trinity. Anyone then who desires to be saved should think thus about the Trinity, but it is necessary for eternal salvation that one believe in the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ faithfully. Now this is the true faith, 
that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and human equally. He is of God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time. He is of human from the essence of his mother, born in time, completely God, completely human, with a rational soul and a human flesh, equal to the Father as regards to divinity, less than the Father as regards to humanity. Although he is God and human, yet Christ is not two, but one. He is one, however, not by his divinity being turned into flesh, but by God's taking humanity to himself. He is one certainly not by the blending of his essence, but by the unity of his person. For just as one human is both rational soul and flesh, so too the one Christ is both God and human. He suffered for our salvation. He descended to hell. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God. And from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. At his coming, all people will rise bodily and give an account of their deeds. Those who have done good will enter eternal life. Those who have done evil will enter eternal fire. This is the Catholic faith. One cannot be saved without believing it firmly and faithfully. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.